Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. What God has in store for us has the power to change the direction of our lives. It has the power to change the direction of our kids' lives, even our grandkids' lives. It has the power to change the direction of people's lives, who, people, of people who aren't even here yet, and their families, and even raise the spiritual uh, temperature of our entire community. Now, I mean, like, I know that sounds like a lot, but I'm telling you, today is a really, really, really important day. See, ever since we started Parkway Fellowship, when we began Parkway Fellowship, uh, God gave us a vision of a church that would minister effectively to the lives of 10% of our community every single week. And that vision has not changed. It's what we still focus on today. And, uh, and everything we do at Parkway Fellowship can be traced back to this same vision of, uh, of ministering to 10% of our community every week. Um, now, we've made a lot of progress in that, uh, in that vision. Uh, in fact, as of right now, uh, almost actually a little bit more than 1% of our community comes to Parkway Fellowship on a regular basis. Now, no, that, I, I get it. That might not sound like a lot, but think about it like this. That means that one out of every 100 people that you see out in the community attend Parkway Fellowship. One out of every 100 people attend Parkway Fellowship. And God's not done yet. Like, he has way more than he wants to do. And so, um, and if, if you come to our membership class, and by the way, if you've never come to our membership class, I want to encourage you, if you think, if you consider Parkway Fellowship your church, then sign up, come to the membership class. You'll learn a lot. It's really great. So anyway, in our membership class, we teach people the mission statement of Parkway Fellowship. Our mission statement is simple. It's to reach the lost at any cost and grow them to maturity. It's to reach the lost at any cost and grow them to maturity. And part of growing to spiritual maturity is learning how to reach out to people who are not Christ followers. And, and when, because we do that, that helps us grow. And um, today, we're going to learn a little bit more about how to do that. Because look, truthfully, Christianity doesn't grow, and people aren't reached by you know, churches you know, doing, having cool banners and slick ad campaigns. Okay, that's never been how it's done. It's always, Christianity has always grown through people whose lives have been changed by Christ telling other people how their lives can be changed by Christ. That's how the church has always grown. That's how people have always been reached ever since you know, the, early day, the earliest days. And so just the fact that you're here today means that God wants to use you to help reach this community for Christ. Because each of us have a role to play. Each of us have a job to do. Each of us have a part in doing what God has called us to do to reach this community for Christ. So, um, which is why today we want to look at the life of a, one of the disciples named Philip. And it's through Philip's life that God's going to show us how he can do these types of things in us as well. Now, there's another guy named Philip that shows up in Acts chapter 6 and again in Acts chapter 8. And he's the guy who chases down a chariot uh, on foot and baptizes the Ethiopian who was driving it, okay? That is Philip the evangelist. Today we're talking about Philip the disciple. It's a different guy. And it's through the life of Philip the disciple that I'm telling you, God has done some incredible, incredible, incredible things. Now, I know, sometimes like, 
looking at the lives of these you know, Bible characters can be a little intimidating because the truth is, sometimes we think about these you know, Bible people as like superheroes. You know, you don't go like Peter, James, John, you know, and we're like, uh, I can't possibly be like that. Well, here's what I like about Philip. Philip is just a really ordinary guy. And the truth is, all of them are just ordinary guys that God's done some extraordinary things through. But Philip, I like him because there's no sensationalism attached. In fact, I'm willing to bet you that nobody in this room can name more than two party facts about Philip other than he was a disciple. But I'm telling you, what God does through Philip's life is incredible. So what we want to do today is we want to trace Philip's life, and then when we get to the end, we'll make some applications from all the things that we've learned, okay? So let's walk through Philip's life and see what God has done through Philip, and know the book of Philippians has nothing to do with Philip, okay? Completely different deal. All right, so here we go. Let's talk about Philip. Philip grew up in a little fishing village, um, just on the Sea of Galilee, um, that was called Bethsaida. Okay, everybody say Bethsaida. Very good. That's where he grew up. And interestingly enough, there are two other disciples that grew up there too. Uh, there are two brothers, Peter and Andrew. They also grew up in the same town. Now look, Bethsaida was a little bitty, tiny fishing village. I mean, it was so small. Uh, it really, it's not a town. It really is just more like a little village, like a little community. And so the chances are that Philip and Peter and Andrew, they all knew each other because it's just one of those places where like everybody knows everybody. So they probably knew each other. Well, um, Philip, growing up, he grew up a good Jewish boy and his parents, they took him to church where he learned all the great Bible stories about Abraham and Moses and um, David versus Goliath, Daniel, the lion's den. Like he knew all those things. And get this. Philip believed. He believed. He believed in God, and he followed God with his life. Well, one day, as when Philip becomes a young man, he hears that John the Baptist is, coming, is in a town nearby, and so Philip decides he's going to go and hear him preach, along with a lot of other people in the same town. And as God would have it, on that particular day, Jesus is in the same town, and Jesus seeks Philip out and invites him to become a disciple. Look what the Bible says, and if you have your sermon notes, you can follow along with me, or if you want to follow in your Bible too, that's perfectly fine. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 43, here's what it says. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, okay? Now, Philip accepts the invitation to become a Christ follower. Now, had Jesus ever, had, I mean, had Philip ever met Jesus before? I mean, we, well, well, we don't know. I mean, maybe he had, maybe he had, because the truth is, Bethsaida was just a stone's throw from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. So maybe he had met Jesus before, maybe not. But here's what we do know. We do know that Peter and Andrew had become disciples by this time. So, you know, were Peter and Andrew there, like, and they were part of what swayed Philip to make the choice to become a disciple? I mean, we don't know that for sure either. I mean, maybe it was part of the equation, but we don't know. But bottom line, Philip accepts the invitation to become a disciple. Then, Philip does something really incredible. Philip, the very first thing Philip does is he goes and finds one of his friends, a guy named Nathaniel, and tells him about Jesus. In fact, look at the very next verses, verses 45 and 46. 
It says this, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked? Come and see, said Philip. So here's the deal. Philip really didn't know what to say to convince Nathanael that Jesus was legit. And so he just says, hey, Nathanael, you know what? Just come and see for yourself. Just come check it out for yourself, which Nathanael does. And get this, Nathanael ends up becoming a disciple as well. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Well, over the next year or so, Jesus, I mean, Nathan, Philip sees Jesus do some incredible things as he follows Jesus all over the countryside. He sees um, Jesus turn water into wine. He hears Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. He sees Jesus heal a boy that was almost dead. And then he, he sees Jesus heal a guy who had been an invalid for 38 years. Incredible. And then one day, Jesus decides to test Philip. Look what happens. In uh, John chapter 6, verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another disciple, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have them sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. By the way, that's just the, the men. There are 5,000 men. By the time you add in the women and the kids, that number is well over 20,000 people. So this is an enormous crowd of people. Five loaves, two fish, that's it. Here we go. Verse 11. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, that is unbelievable. And, and over the next year or so, Philip sees Jesus do even more incredible things. He sees Jesus raise a guy named Lazarus from the dead. He sees Jesus walk on water. And then Jesus invites Peter to walk on the water, which Peter does. And he sees Jesus calm a storm with a spoken word. I mean, unbelievable what he sees. He sees Jesus teach the people with such authority and with such wisdom that it baffles the religious leaders of the day. Well, after three years of following Jesus around and watching Jesus do all this stuff, Jesus begins to tell the disciples about his, um, about his upcoming death. Now, Philip didn't really understand what Jesus was talking about, and honestly, neither the disciples. They didn't really, nobody really understood because Jesus you know, kind of talked uh, in cryptic sort of ways. So they didn't really get it. Well, one day, they are having... A, a Passover meal together. They're sharing the Passover meal in the upper room of a house. And so on that day, Philip turns to Jesus and he says something really important, or he asks something really important in John chapter 14, 
verse 8. It says this. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Now look, I don't know about you, but at that point in time, I'm never asking Jesus another question ever again. Like, because I would feel really, really stupid. I mean, you know, you've heard people say, hey, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Well, this is close, all right? But I'm telling but get this. This is a, I'm so glad Philip asked this question because this is one of the main passages that theologians use to help us understand that Jesus wasn't just the Son of God, but Jesus was God. Because he's, Jesus says, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. They are one in the same so it's a really, really important passage uh, in the Bible. Well, as you might have guessed, this Passover meal that they were sharing, that meal was shared in a place called the Upper Room, which we now know that meal that night was the Last Supper, because as soon as that meal was over, Jesus and the disciples went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was betrayed by Judas, captured by the Romans, taken, beaten, whipped, scourged, and then crucified on a cross. And the disciples were shocked and scared for their own lives. But then, three days later, the most unbelievable thing happened. Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, let that sink in for just a second. Jesus rose from the dead. And after that resurrection, I'm telling you, everything changed. Everything changed for Philip, and everything changed for the disciples. Because at that point, Philip, now he truly gets it. Now he really understands that Jesus is God's son, that when he died on the cross, that Jesus took all the sins of the world upon himself. And that when he died, his death paid the price for all of the sins of all of humanity for all time. And that if any of us would ask Jesus to come into our lives and receive his forgiveness, then we would be forgiven, become God's children, and be able to go to heaven when we die. And the very least that we could do at that point for being forgiven of all of that and being given heaven is to follow him with our lives while we're here on this earth. Like that's, that's what it means to be a Christ follower. Well, Philip traveled, after, after, after this, this deal, Philip traveled all throughout Greece and Asia Minor and Syria, preaching and teaching about the lordship and the majesty and the salvation that could be had through Jesus Christ. And many, 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 many people became Christ followers as a result. In fact, in 54 AD, and I, I'm using the term AD even though I know our government now wants us to use the term CE, but you know, forget it, I'm going with AD, you know, rage against the machine, that's me. So in 54 AD, 
Philip is preaching in a town called Hierapolis. It's in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. He's preaching in Hierapolis, and many people become Christ followers that day, and one of the people that becomes a Christ follower is the wife of the Roman proconsul of the city. Well, the proconsul becomes furious, and he has Philip and another disciple that's with him, a guy named Bartholomew, he has them arrested, beaten, scourged, and then publicly crucified upside down. And by the way, I believe, as well as many biblical scholars believe, that this other disciple was with him, this guy named Bartholomew, that Bartholomew was this guy's last name, but his first name is Nathaniel. The very disciple that Philip told, said, hey, come and see. So Nathaniel was with, G, was with Philip at the very beginning. He was the very first person that Philip told about Christ, and he was the very last person to hear Philip tell about Christ. It's pretty amazing. Well, anyway, um, Philip, and, Philip and Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, while they're on the cross, Philip begins to preach and teach so powerfully and so compellingly about Christ that many people in the town believe in Christ, and they demand that Philip and Bartholomew be taken down from the cross and set free. They take Bartholomew off the cross, and as they take Philip off the cross, Philip requests to stay crucified. Now, we don't know why, but Philip then continues to share about the majesty and the glory and the lordship and the salvation of Jesus Christ while he's on the cross. And then he passes away. And look, and just in case some, all this just sounds too fantastical to believe and too like unrealistic, major news organizations in Europe on July 27th of 2011, you can go look this up anywhere on your own. You can just Google it, you'll find it easy. July 27th, 2011, major news organizations in Europe reported that, they have, that archaeologists have now found the tomb of Philip the disciple just outside the ruins of an ancient city in Turkey named Hierapolis. I mean, it's all real. This isn't just made-up fantasy stuff. I mean, it's incredible, right? Okay, so let's take Philip, what we've learned, and now let's make some applications to our own lives. Okay, so go ahead and write these things down. These are things I want you to write down, okay? So here's the first thing. Well, let's ask this question. What can I learn from Philip's journey with Christ? Here's the first thing I learned. The longer I pursue Christ the deeper I go with Christ. The longer I pursue Christ, the deeper I go with Christ. See, Philip started following Christ about 27 AD. And then in 54 AD, that's when Philip dies. So 27 years of following Jesus. Okay, but get this. When Philip started, Philip couldn't even, didn't even know how to tell his friend Nathaniel about Jesus. But then when he gets to the end, he preaches so compellingly from being crucified upside down that people demand that he be freed and many, many, many come to Christ. So what I'm saying is, is that the longer I pursue Christ, the deeper I go in my relationship with Christ. Now get this. Notice I didn't say the longer you're a Christian. Okay? Because there are people who have been Christians for decades but they are not spiritually mature. They have not grown very much. It's not about how long you are something. It's how long you pursue something. So 
So look, here's the deal. If you want to pursue Christ, you've got to do the things that people who pursue Christ do. You need to read the Bible and study the Bible on your own. Pray every day. Be involved in your church. And if you don't go to church anywhere, then be involved here at Parkway Fellowship. Be involved. Lead a small group for adults or kids or teenagers. But do the things that pursue that people who pursue Christ do. Because look, here's the thing. It, it, if you haven't grown spiritually like you want to in the last several years, then make 2018 the year that you say, you know what, I'm really going to pursue Christ this year. And look, and if you've been pursuing Christ and you're all, you have been growing, then continue to stay on that path. Because the longer I pursue Christ, the deeper I grow in my relationship with Christ. And that, look, and that relationship with Christ starts by becoming a Christ follower. So if you've never prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you and start a relationship with him, that's where you need to start. And look, you might not know a lot about Jesus. Philip didn't know a lot about Jesus when he started either. But he took that step of faith and became a Christ follower. And then he grew. So don't let that stop you. So if you don't know that much and you're ready to become a Christ follower, then become one anyway. And you'll grow after that. So there's a prayer. It's in your message notes. It's at the bottom. If you've never prayed that prayer before, take a second. I want you to pray that prayer right now. All right. Number two. Here's the second thing we learned. When I don't know what to say, invite people to see for themselves. When I don't know what to say, just invite people to see for themselves. I mean, think about Philip. When Nathaniel asked Philip about Jesus, Philip didn't know what to tell him. And so he just said, hey, you know what, Nathaniel, just come and see for yourself. Just, you just come and see. So look, if you're in a conversation with someone and the topic of God or Jesus or church comes up and like you don't know what to tell them, just do what Philip did. Just say, you know what, come see for yourself. And use that as an invitation to invite them to come to church. And that's one reason why I'm so excited about this parenting series that we're kicking off next week. Because it's a great series to invite people to come to. It's called Down to Earth Parenting. We're going to take um, God's heavenly principles for parenting and we're going to learn how to put them into practice down here on earth. And by the way, it's perfect for grandparents too because there's so many things we're going to talk about as parents. We're going to make specific applications. Hey, this is what grandparents can do. So look, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you want to be a parent someday or you want to be a grandparent someday, this is going to be a great series to come to. Because God has so many great things for us. And, it, and it's going to be intensely practical, incredibly practical. I'll kick off the series. And then in week two, my wife, Amy, is going to come and speak. She's the you know, better of the two parents my kids have. And so she'll be here say, week two talking about discipline and some other you know, sticky subjects that you know, people tend to wrestle with. She's a certified Christian counselor. She's really, really good. She knows what we're talking about. She's going to be great. And then, uh, and then in week four, to wrap up the series... My two kids, Libby and Ben, are going to be on stage with me to preach that day. And so you're going to get an insider's view of parenting from them. And so they'll talk about some of the things that have worked well, and we're going to give them the chance to talk about some of the fails as well. So, I mean, it'll be insightful, that's for sure. So, uh, but may, so make sure you come and, and invite people to come, because look, that's the point. This is a great series to invite people to come to. So use those invite cards that are in your seat. Invite people to come to the series. And look, don't, don't walk to people and say, hey, you know what? My, my church is in this great series on parenting. And, and look, 
I've seen your kids. Like, you should come. Like, no, that's not the way to go with it. Okay, that's, that's not how you do it. Because look, God has a plan for those kids' lives. And he wants to use us as parents and grandparents to help our kids follow God's plan. So invite people to come and you make sure that you're here yourself, okay? All right, uh, number three. Here's the third thing we learned. Third thing we learned is this. The random friendships I have aren't random. The random friendships I have aren't random. You remember how Philip grew up in a town with you know, his two little friends, Peter and Andrew? They all became disciples together. See, God had a strategic purpose for their friendship growing up. And then think about Nathaniel, the very first person that Philip told about Jesus. Nathaniel was the first person to hear Philip tell about Jesus and was with him at the end. And he was the last person to hear Philip tell people about Jesus. I'm telling you, that, that, those friendships are strategic in God's eyes. Those aren't accidental. They're not random. And so the friendships that you have, the relationships you have in your life, they're by design. It might not seem like there's any rhyme or any reason. It might just seem like it's all random, but it's not. God has a plan for every friendship you have in your life. And I don't know what those plans are. I, I, I don't know, but God does. But my point is, is that whatever those friendships are, you ought to be looking at those friendships, look at them this week, and when you're you know, engaging your friends, say, you know what, God, what, what are you wanting to do through this friendship? What's your plan with this friendship? Maybe it's to invite them to come to church and so they can introduce, be introduced to Christ. Maybe it's to help them grow in their relationship with Christ. I don't know what it could, maybe they're there to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. But bottom line, there is a plan a strategic plan that God has for every friendship. And who knows what, what God would do through those people. But God put them in your life for a reason. So look, would you ask God to use you in the lives of those people? Ask him to use you. And who knows? Some of those people might be the people that God uses to encourage you in your relationship now, with God now. And they might be, some of those people might be people that God uses to stay in your life all the way to the end just like he did with Philip. So, bow your head, close your eyes. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for Philip and what you did through him. Lord, and that even though he doesn't have a lot of sensationalism attached to him as a disciple, Lord, there's so much that you did through his life. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for unfolding it before us today. And I ask that you would help us to be committed to following you and letting you work in our lives and through our lives, just like you did through Philip. Because you have great things in store for us too. And so I especially ask for the parents and grandparents who are gonna be at this series starting next week, that you would help us take your word and put it into practice and change and reshape this next generation coming up. We love you. Thank you for today. Do all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.